You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, upc.org. Today we start our sermon series called Rest. And for me, that's a sermon series that I probably would be better off sitting in the pew listening to than preaching most of the time. Uh, Because, like most of us in our culture... Rest is something that can be quite elusive. But I think Paul has something to share with us about what is rest and what does it come from. And it's kind of paradoxical because I think rest comes with hard work. And it comes from pointing ourselves in a direction. And it comes from with whom we walk. So as we begin tonight... Let me, let me open us up with a word of prayer. Father God, hear our prayer. This is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help us to determine what is best, so that in the day of Christ Jesus, we might be pure and blameless, having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for your glory and your praise, O Father. Lord, as we hear your word tonight, I pray that by your Holy Spirit you would teach us and you would guide us and that you would teach us what it means to rest. Amen. Our text tonight is comes from the second chapter of Philippians. It's a letter that Paul wrote to a church that he was very familiar with and a church that he, in all honesty, loved. There are some letters that Paul wrote where he brought some heat. And the church, the, the letter to the Philippians is one where he brought, wanted to bring joy and encouragement. Uh, so here are his words from the ch- second chapter. If you want to follow along, please uh, feel free. It's on page 954 of your Pew Bible. This is chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete, be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. But emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, 
to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. So Paul wrote that word of encouragement to this church that he loved. And I think what he was doing was he was inviting them into a standard of life that they had never experienced before. Now, Philippi was a key place in the Roman Empire. So the, the Philippian church had an understanding of what it meant to live in the midst of power. They were a Roman seat, uh, which meant that the, the power of Rome uh, was an extension into their city. So they knew what it was. They knew what Rome was. So the power of the day was very present among them. They had also known a power of the past. Uh, Philippi was one of the first main areas that Philip II uh, had conquered, a Macedon, and at the start of the Greek Empire, the Hellenistic Empire, uh, started in through Philippi and then branched down through. So this was a place that had a long history with culture, with arts, uh, with uh, power of government, uh, starting with the Greek uh, folks and then also coming into the Roman age. Philippi was a place that knew what a high standard was. The interesting thing about this is Paul comes through, and what I think he does is he says to this church, he says, okay, I know your history. I know where you've come from. I know where you're at. And I want to tell you where you're going. You have experienced good. In, in the Greek culture. You've experienced good in the Roman Empire. What is offered to you now is a standard that is elevated, that is great. Paul was saying to these folks, you've seen it one way, now I'm inviting you in to see it in another way. Think along with me as I say these words. What's the word that makes sense when I say these? Play along with me. The Depression. The Wall of China. The Wolf Lodge. The Adventure Six Flags. Britain, Expectations, Clips, Barrier Reef, White Shark. Escape, lakes, harvest bread. What is the word that's missing from all of these that make them the more familiar things to us? I heard it. The Great Depression, the Great White Shark, the Great Barrier Reef, and on. None of these these things are known to us because of how they're described. They're described as great. And I have to admit... When I thought of like, oh, what does it mean to, to have the standard elevated from good to great? I remember in the back of my head hearing this commercial on the radio and, and, uh, and it was all of these things and it was kind of funny. It was like, hey, you know what you'd be? You'd be the world's jerkiest son if you gave a cup to your dad that said, world's averagest dad. And, you know, whoever wants to go to good Britain or read okay expectations. <laughs> And I thought, oh, what a great thing. I thought, oh, that's probably an insurance commercial or something like that. 
I have to, I have to disclose, it's a commercial for Miller Lite, so. Um, but we're not, this service isn't sponsored by Miller Lite, so I don't have to shout that out. I just wanted, for when you heard that commercial on the radio, um, you, you won't be like, what? You know? So, all of these things are known to us because they're description of great. They're, we are drawn to those places because someone has called it fit to say this is great. If they called it mediocre, we probably wouldn't run there. And that's what Paul is presenting to the church of Philippi. And I think what Paul is inviting us into as well. He's inviting us not into a life that's mediocre, but into a life that is great, that is spectacular, that is beyond anything that we can imagine. And then if we imagine it, it's better than that. It is amazing. That is the life that Paul's inviting us into. Now, Paul also knew the folks who were there. They'd known Greece. They'd known Rome. Uh, they also, the, the center of Philippi was a key place of power. It was a political seat. So they knew what it meant to steward power. And I think we can learn from something about this. Paul, you, we know that Paul understood that because of the words that he chose when he was saying these things. Uh, Paul uses two key words here. Uh, one is uh, selfish ambition. Uh, when he uses that word, he uses a term, epithean. And he, he uses ambition in different places. But this, in this place, he chose a word that wasn't necessarily in the, in the regular Greek that he was using. He chose a word that comes from Aristotle. And it's, and it's directly tied to political power. So what it means is don't, don't give up yourself to attain this seat of power. So when he says selfish ambition, he, what he's saying to them is don't give up who you are, who you've been made to be, to attain this place. Don't lose yourself for the sake of gain. He also used an, another political term. He, I think he chose these two words pretty carefully. Uh, this other one, uh, kenodoxia. And you might understand doxia. That's, the word, that's where doxology comes from. And what it is is the emptying. Keno is emptying of glory. And that's where it might, you might read in the NIV where it says vain glory. Don't seek empty glory. Uh, it, it, what he's saying here is don't let yourself be emptied of glory. Emptiness experienced due to letting yourself be misled. You see, there's an agency in that that can't be stolen from you because it's given. That glory is given. Don't let it be stolen from you by being misled, by buying into something that isn't true. So as Paul goes on, we see, I think we, was, we see two invitations given in this text. We see an invitation into purpose, and we see an invitation into identity. Purpose and identity. And that fits into our, our, our subtopic tonight of ambition to contentment. And I, I, I've learned a lot in, in looking at this because I think this text and, and those, sitting with those concepts can inform who we are as Seattleites 
and as people who, who sit in a place of relative power, uh, who sit in places of stewardship. Um, Paul invites the church at Philippi to respond to the story of Jesus Christ because it's real. When he, when he writes the Christ hymn, when he speaks of the glory of Jesus, the, that Jesus came to earth, was, was made himself nothing, emptied himself even to death, death on a cross, and experienced that death, and then was resurrected to sit at the right hand of God the Father, so that God elevated him to be worshipped by everyone in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Paul is reminding us of what our identity is, of who we are. We are brothers and sisters of Christ. We are. We sit with Christ in that place in glory, that anticipation of sitting with God on high. That is our identity. That's something that's given to us that cannot be taken. He also starts out the passage by saying, and I think this is Paul being very crafty. He starts off chapter 2 by saying all of the things that you could do, that your community could look like. Uh, he says, he, he says, if you've experienced love, if you've experienced um, these things, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. He basically writes out what a Christian community looks like. He says, if you, if, this is the first question he asks, if you've experienced the truth of Jesus and you can call it good, then this is what life looks like. And as I read that, that stumbled me up. Every time I've read that, it stumbled me up until I realized what he was doing. He's being so crafty. Paul was saying to this church, these are all the things that you can do. You know, one question that I get all the time uh, when, I, when I share uh, with friends or, or folks, okay, this is what it means. These are the simple things of our faith. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as, as yourself. And then the next question is, okay, then what do I do? What do I do on Monday? <laughs> and that's a legitimate question. And I think what Paul does is he describes what Monday looks like in Philippi here. He says, in, so if you read that, in Philippi, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation from love, if you've experienced these things and you know them to be true, then live as if you have. Live as if you've experienced them and you know them to be true. That does, he doesn't say, if you live every single day knowing the love of God, kind of what I call like the field of daisies kind of love, uh, he doesn't say that. He says, if you have experienced these, if you've experienced this love, then live as if you have. Because those are glimpses of what God's kingdom is. We do not experience the fullness of God's kingdom. We experience those glimpses. And through Jesus Christ, God has invited us to live forward into those. Now, I said I think Paul's pretty crafty in that because if you're like me, that's, that's where I get caught up. Because I try really hard. I have a lot of ambition 
to live my life the way I think it should be. And sometimes, the harder I try, the lower I sink, the further away from God that I feel. And that confuses me. So I think Paul is being realistic here. He's saying, go and, and do all of these things. Take the freedom to be. Go do these things. Live out your life. And then, in continued relationship in Christian community, come back and talk about it. Because when we come back and we talk about it, when we truly live in that Christian community, we come back and we are reminded that we are re-centralized on our identity in Jesus. And as we live into that identity, we are formed due to the presence of God in our lives. And the more that we are formed, we are continued. Paul earlier in, in the first chapter says, you, I pray that you'll continue to be worked on until the day of Christ. That means we never arrive. That is the, that's a sad thing for me. Because I want to arrive and go on vacation. I want to, I want to cross the finish line and take a deep breath. <laughs> but we don't live in that. What we're looking toward is to li- that fulfillment of God in, in eternity. And it, as we live in this life, we see those glimpses. Paul is saying, hold on to those glimpses and live toward that. But you can't do it alone. You have to do it coming together by living these things out. Um, because when we do come together and we do walk in that identity, we're formed. That enables us to go and live out our purpose. Now, as that connects with ambition and con- contentment, I think there is a difference between those two. And as you look, if you look at the bulletin, there's four sermons in this series. I, th- I think you came to the right uh, service on, for first Sunday. I was, you know, I just want to say, but um, because of all of those four, I think that ambition is not mutually exclusive from contentment. It's the other ones. I think are a little bit more exclusive. You can't live in anxiety. You can't live in fear. Uh, we do, and that's the reality of our lives. But God invites us out of those, and those are measures of the life that we live in faith and the trust that we're growing into uh, as we see those glimpses of kingdom. The good news on this is that as we sit here, I imagine a, a room full of very ambitious people. We are not excluded because of that ambition. In fact, that ambition is absolutely necessary to live out the community of faith in the best way that God invites us into it. Because that community of faith looks like this. It looks like caring for widows and orphans. It, lo- it takes an entrepreneurial uh, spirit to pick up whatever we have and do it to the glory of God. Whoever we are, none of us receives a free pass in life. We can never say, oh, I don't have that gift or I don't have that gift. I'm not good at that. God has promised us as identity, as identifying us with Jesus that we are valuable. That identity is secure, but that also means that we have a purpose in God's kingdom, that we have a place that we have things to do. Monday through Saturday, there are things for us to do in God's kingdom.
That takes ambition. But it also takes ambition, and Paul is is putting a very careful caution in that. That ambition, if you ever hope for it to lead to contentment, needs to be in context of the person of Jesus Christ. Because this isn't a chicken or egg uh, power going on here. Which comes first, the chicken or the egg? We don't know, and that's a, that's a question we'll never know. But which comes first? In this, our identity and our purpose, we know. That's disclosed to us. That's revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ. The thing that comes first is our identity. And out of that identity comes our purpose, where we get to employ our ambition to its fullest extent. We get to bring the best of who we are to lay at God's feet in worship. God isn't requiring us to sit back. God's requiring us to come into the presence of Jesus Christ to understand who we are, to understand who we will become so that we can live into that. It's only in that hard work that takes the rhythm of the week that we see in creation, the hard work of six days and the seventh day of Sabbath abiding rest, that we understand what true contentment is. Paul is offering a higher standard. He is saying, you know the standards of this world. He's saying some pretty audacious things here. The standard of the Greek culture, low. The standard of the Roman Empire, low. The standard of God's kingdom, high. And I think he's presenting that to this, to this church at, at Philippi. He's saying to them, are you going to settle to have your identity be established in the power of the day? Or are you going to receive that identity and have that define you. You know, Paul goes on and he shares uh, in other letters that to some, that is the best news in the world. That's that tall drink of water on a hot day. But to others, that's the worst news in the world because you have to give something up to step into that. And that is your own autonomy. That is the control over your life. To step into the identity of Christ you step in and are tr- when we step into the identity to relationship with Jesus, we walk away changed. And when we receive that change, when we embrace that change, when we run changed into this world, we are lights and we proclaim and we witness to the reality of Jesus. But we give up a level of autonomy in that. So I think Paul is speaking a prophetic word to the Philippians. He's saying you have a choice. Continue into the powers. Go with that flow, and you'll, you'll probably live a good life. You'll probably live well. But if you take this step into the light, into the faith of the transforming power of Jesus, you will reach a greatness that you could never conceive of. As I was thinking of what it means to move from good to great, I thought of the book, Good to Great. 
I don't know if any of you have read this. Um, this is for social sectors, uh, sectors. Um, but uh, Jim Collins, a professor at Stanford, has written this book as a guide in business, how to move from, from good, which is good, to great, which is great. He starts off by saying this. During my first year on the Stanford faculty in 1988, I sought out Professor John Gardner for guidance on how I might become a better teacher. Gardner, former Secretary of Health, Education, and Welfare, founder of Common Cause, and author of the classic text, Self-Renewal, stung me with a comment that changed my life. I'm glad he put who he was because, you know, as a, if he would have said, like, oh, Carl Bard or Billy Graham, I would have been like, wow. Uh, when he said John Gardner, I was like, that rings a bell. And then I was like, oh, yeah, big wig. <laughs> um, so Gardner stung me with a comment that changed my life. It occurs to me, Jim, that you spend too much time trying to be interesting. He said, why don't you invest more time being interested? I think Collins wrote that because, as Paul shares with the Philippians, he cautions them, do not step into a place of self-seeking to be elevated. And that is a very easy place. That's the most natural place for us to step into. If I want to get ahead in life, then I have to elevate myself to be there. He's also saying, who you are is important. Adding, adding, adding more to the core of who you are does not really add to the core of who you are. The core of who you are is who you are, and that is how God made you. And the good news is that that is good. That God has looked at you through the eyes of his son, Jesus Christ, and said, you are mine. I will turn toward you every single day of your life and call you mine. And in that safety, I have some work for you to do. Ambition and contentment do not have to be mutually exclusive. We can step into that place of identity. We can receive the identity of God's children in Jesus Christ. And that opens up for us not a point on the horizon. That is what ambition does. Ambition is gathering all of our faculties, our power, our strength, our understanding to create a point on the horizon that we will accomplish getting to. Inevitably, in the economy of God's kingdom, that point will always fall short of what we could live into. Contentment does this. It says, I don't know or care even where I am going. What I do care about is with whom I am traveling and being led by. God has promised a life of greatness when we choose contentment, when we choose to walk, to lay down that point on the horizon and accept whatever comes to us, to turn to that person, that companion of Jesus Christ, to say, identify who I am 
and point me in the direction that you would like. Anywhere you would like me to go, I will go. That's a hard and courageous thing to do because it means we give up the control of that point. But the promise in that is that God says the outcome of that decision and that response is great. The result of our ambitious, self-centered point to our own horizon may be good. And that's the wager that we live with faith in Jesus Christ. The invitation I think that Paul gives to us is to live a life that is great. We have all seen, I think, what it means to live good. What we're invited into is to turn to that companion of Jesus Christ and ask, what is great? Lead me there and I will follow. That's our invitation for the evening. Pray with me. Father God, I thank you for the witness that you give to us in the church at Philippi. Lord, I thank you that you abide with us and that we can abide with you. And in that relationship, we can be known by you and we can know you. And that out of that relationship, Lord, you point us from good to great. Lord, I pray that for each of us, for the courage, uh, for the ability to see you. And Lord, what that relies on is not our own strength or our own power, but simply for you to be made known in our lives. So that is what we ask for, Lord. Show us who you are and lead us in your way everlasting. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.